Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to be looking at that in just a few months. If you want to get into your Old Testament and hold that passage, Ezekiel 36, verse 26. If you're visiting Christ Church this morning, my name is Mark. We're glad you're here. Uh, I get to be one of the ministers here at the church, and we've entered in a series that you've heard us talk about already this morning called The Presence, and we're focusing on the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit mean? Why was He given to us? And last week we opened with basically introducing who is the Holy Spirit. It's not an it. The Spirit is a He, and it's a person. It's God, and it displays all the attributes of God. And the thing that we ended with last week that we really wanted to embed in our minds going forward is that the Holy Spirit responds to our faith in Jesus. And it's a gift that God has given us. As he led Jesus in his incarnation, you'll notice many times in the New Testament it said, and Jesus was led by the Spirit. The same Spirit that led Jesus is available to us. In fact, Jesus asked that we would have the same relationship with the Father that he had. And that's not just an ideal, that's an opportunity. And Christ has given us the power to be able to have that. So why would we study the Spirit at this time? Well, there's a reason. I could talk about practical, daily things, and there's nothing wrong with that. I could talk about marriage. I could talk about family. I could talk about the sociopolitical debate we're having in our country right now over these issues. There's nothing wrong with that. But every now and then, we have to go all the way down to the source of our discipleship. And how do we grow? And how do we live? And how do we aspire to be all that Jesus wants us to be? So I want to ask you a series of questions. Now, I'm somewhat of a competitive person. (laughs) I'm a totally competitive person. So I want you to know Thursday night killed this. The 8 o'clock service this morning, you know the people who really love Jesus and worship him? They got this down. The 9.15, well, okay. So you all are well-rested, so you should win this competition. I want to ask you a series of questions. Respond to me if you're interested. Do you need more wisdom? Wow, there you go. I'm not used to this. Do you need, I may do this all day. This is fun. Uh, do you need more power? Would you like more insights into what is true and right and good? And would you uh, like a perspective that's God's and not your own? Then that's why we're doing the Holy Spirit. You've just stated the reasons why Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. It's not a penalty and it's not just an addition. It's not like sitting at a restaurant going, do I have appetizers or not? No, no, this is it. This is the meal. This is the the thing Jesus wanted us to have. The reason he said, I'm going to go and he must come, and it's a good thing that I go, that the Spirit's presence can be in all of you. You see, what we're looking at is when I listen to what the Scriptures teach about who the Holy Spirit is, and I listen to the verbs, if I listen to what the Spirit does, here's what I hear. The Spirit searches. The Spirit knows. The Spirit teaches. The Spirit dwells within us. The Spirit gives life to those who believe, cries out within within the heart of the believer, leads us in the ways of God, testifies to our own spirit, helps us in our weakness, intercedes for us before the Father, works all things together for our good, and strengthens believers. I'm in. How about you? I want that. I need that. I've not done good uh, trying to live my life by my own power. In fact, in the Old Testament, it said it's not by my spirit or by my will or by my strength. It's by God's spirit, that all of these things come together. Today we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit does to us. I know that's a strange term, but I'm going to explain it and show you there's a goodness there. The Holy Spirit does something to us. Next week we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in us. 
And the following week, we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit does through us. And all of these are gifts and opportunities that God has given us when he's laid his spirit upon us. But I want to say something. It's going to be a bit provocative. It may be controversial. That's not my intention. But I'm 100% convinced this is true. That without the Spirit, without God's Holy Spirit, our relationship with salvation could not exist. It would be impossible. You see, the Scriptures are clear. Even though we like to willpower this thing together, you and I would have no awareness of our need for Jesus if it weren't the Holy Spirit. We would have no concept of salvation. We would not understand the depth of our own sin and our own failure if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible teaches, that no one seeks God, not one person seeks the Lord, but through the power of his spirit and the conviction of his spirit, salvation becomes a possibility to us simply because God's spirit came and awakened us. So if we live in that world, it says, oh, just give me Jesus, I don't need anything else. No, no, no. Jesus would tell you the opposite. He said, my spirit is what makes me glorified in your eyes as I glorify my Father. So we're so excited to be able to talk about what's available to us through the Spirit. I'd like to give an illustration, and I hope it works. It hasn't yet, but I'm one for four. Right, we'll try it. If I gave you a 1,000-piece jigsaw puzzle and laid it out on the table, but I took the box top, would you have any idea how to begin or what to make of the pieces? Probably not. If I gave you a Lego Star Wars uh, spaceship. And I didn't, I just got no yeah on that. That's awesome. Okay. So I gave you a Star Wars Lego and I didn't tell you what it was, but I just simply gave you the pieces. Could you configure it into what it was meant to be? Now this is a natural. If I gave you an Ikea piece of furniture, does anybody but God know how to build that thing? The answer is no. Have I covered all four generations in here, right? Some of you are like, what's a jigsaw puzzle? Well, I got something for you later. You see, what it is, is there's a design beyond each piece of creation that the directions teach us what to do, what it is, what the end game is to become. This is what the Holy Spirit does in all of our lives. We don't know what to do with our sin. We don't know what to do with our failure. We don't know what to do with God. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us and to us. And the Holy Spirit brings life and awareness and direction and purpose. You can't, you can't find salvation without the Spirit. How will you find anything else without him? And this is why we're studying what we're studying. I want to give you three points this morning about what the Holy Spirit does to us. And they're going to be, the, the first one's the longest, so don't panic if you think, he'll never finish. I will, I promise. But I want you to see the first, second, and third piece fit together so beautifully. Let's begin. The Spirit opens us to life-giving conviction. This is what the Holy Spirit does to us. He brings a life-giving conviction. Jesus said, and, and it was actually quoted this morning uh, when Tyler was talking about this, that the, the Spirit comes to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, the word conviction is an important word. It's not condemnation. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and say, you are worthless. How dare you rebel against God? It brings a conviction that you have sinned. It brings a conviction that there is a righteousness attainable in Jesus and it brings the truth of judgment, both good and bad, on every single one of us. But it does so with hope. You see, that conviction, the it, is brought to you by the he, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment so that we might find life, not find hell. It would, wouldn't it be amazing to present God that way in our world today instead of the God who's always telling people, don't. Instead, we get the God who's calling us to life. 
out of darkness into hope and into peace. You see, it produces the conviction of the Spirit. It produces an awakening of sin's influence on our souls and a desire to be remedied. In Acts chapter 2, when the early church gathered and Peter preached the first gospel message that Jesus Christ died, that we put him to death by our sin, but he died for our sins so that he could raise us to life, what did the crowd call out? They called out conviction. What must we do to be saved? The same crowd that was yelling crucify him was now awakened to the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and they began to cry Where did that happen? None of them sought God before. Now they do seek God. What's the difference? Presence of the Holy Spirit. On them. You see, each Christian life begins with hearing the gospel. Now, you might ask yourself, well then, if the Holy Spirit does all the convicting, then why do I even have to share my faith? Let me show you. Each Christian life begins with hearing the gospel. Romans 10, Paul says, how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? You see, my role in life, your role in life. Our opportunity is to present the truth of who Jesus Christ is to people and allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. But the Word says there will be no conviction if the gospel is not presented. So our service to the King is to talk about our King and why we love Him and why we serve Him and why we give ourselves to Him and then allow the Holy Spirit to work and bring a conviction of sin, judgment, and righteousness to the hearts and minds of everyone. And then after having received the gospel truth, it's to preach the gospel repeatedly to our own minds and hearts. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says it this way, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Notice the combination here. The gospel is presented, the Holy Spirit brings conviction, and people realize that this is not just a man's ideas, it is actually the inspired truth of God. Holy Spirit does that for us. In 2 Thessalonians 2, the same church, Paul's next letter to them, he writes these words. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and through belief in the truth. So we have much to be grateful for. The reason you and I have a thought about Jesus, the reason we have interest in Jesus, the reason that we desire not to live in sinful lives but in the hope of the gospel is because the Holy Spirit has brought us truth, and that truth is Jesus. He's made us aware. He's opened our eyes to who Christ is. The Holy Spirit removes the veil that keeps us from understanding what Paul would call a mystery, the mystery of the gospel, The Holy Spirit is the one who showed us the depths of the mystery and intrigued us. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says it this way, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. It's good news, isn't it? The Spirit is not just something you have to do. The Spirit is something that's awakened you, brought a conviction that brings life. And the Holy Spirit is working, whenever the gospel is presented, the Holy Spirit is working to bring this positive, hope-infused conviction. But it's not irresistible. There are some who teach that. I don't believe biblically you can make the case that God will save someone against their will. 
That once God decides he's going to save you, that you're going to be saved whether you want to or not. No, faith is required. It is resistible. In Acts chapter 7, here's just one example. It says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you can resist him. The Bible says you can grieve him. And the Bible says you can quench his influence on your life. So we can resist this awakening, this conviction. And to be honest, and I, don't, I hope I'm not being cruel, I believe every single person in this room has had a moment in their life where the conviction of the Holy Spirit has come on them and they've resisted it and rejected it. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to trust it. And we we're warned in Scripture that it is the Spirit of God, but He will not make us choose Him. We choose Him by faith. We respond to Him willingly. It, the Holy Spirit brings to us life-giving conviction, not condemnation. Secondly, the Spirit regenerates us to newness. Regenerates us, which is an interesting word. There are three words that are used in Scripture, not in Scripture, but in theological circles. They are found in Scripture, but they're, they're, not, really mis, or they're not really understood. I can't even use English. They're not really understood in the English language. So what I want to do is give you the theological term and then show you how we use it in everyday language so that you'll understand. It's important that we understand what the work of the Spirit is in our lives so that we can open ourselves to him. Let's begin with the first one. It's a, it's a word theologians call justification. You and I refer to it more simply as forgiveness of our sins. It is the Holy Spirit that brings us to an awareness of our need for the blood of Jesus Christ, which justifies us in our relationship with God. It takes us from being sinners, which we are. And part of the first steps of being a follower of Jesus is to confessing that you haven't made mistakes. You have made rebellion, that you have taken the best things of God and used them for your own purposes, harmed yourself and others, and it's a hard thing to do in our culture, but confessing we're sinners is the first step of anyone's faith. To receive the blood of Jesus, you need the blood of Jesus, and confession is calling out your need. And justification is the forgiveness of our sins. Second, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, notice that what you were. While you were dead in sins and your nature was of the flesh only and selfish, God acted. Remember, God initiates this through his spirit, not you and me. We don't seek him on our own. We're convicted of our need for him and the spirit is the one who brings that. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. The Spirit is the one who convicts us of that and brings justification to light and our need for it. The second word is the word regeneration, and we're going to focus on that this morning specifically, but these three pieces fit together. First, we are forgiven of our sins, justified, and then we are born again, regenerated, and that's what the term regeneration means to the theologians. You are born again, a term we might use today, or probably more commonly in the States, in our culture, you've been saved that God placed his blood upon you, you have been saved from your sins, now you walk in newness of life. And the third word is sanctification. And this simply means to be set apart. When I think of the word sanctification, these two illustrations from my life come to mind. My mom had some sanctified plates and silverware that we used twice a year. You all know what I'm talking about. She called it China. It came out for Thanksgiving and it came out for Easter. And as a kid, I thought only ham and turkey could lay on those plates. We never had spaghetti on those plates. We never had pizza on those plates. We never had corn dogs on those plates. We had holy food 
on holy days. My mom had sanctified those. She had set them apart. But there's also a component to it. I'm being overly simple. Please understand that. But I want you to understand these concepts in practical terminology. The other part of sanctification is the sterilization. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am an international surgeon. I have performed hernia operations outside of the country. So if you need any help, call me, okay? Um, I have. I went into an operating room for the very first time and thought for sure I was going to pass out. And I stood next to this nurse. I don't know what her technical term is, but she was the do not touch nurse. That's what I called her. She had a tray of, of utensils. And I was told when I walked in the room, you can do anything you want. Do not touch that tray. Because if you touch that tray, it all has to be taken out, put back in the machine, and sterilized. She was the only person, I don't know how special she was, but she could take that instrument I couldn't touch and hand it to the surgeon so that he could perform a safe, sterile surgery on the customer, if you will. That's what sanctification does. It not only sets us apart for a special usage, but it also cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness and sin so that we can perform holy acts in the name of our Father. You see, justification takes care of our sin. Regeneration takes care of our heart. And sanctification takes care of our purpose. The Holy Spirit is needed for all of those things to occur in your life. He's not an option. He's a beautiful necessity and power. And then Michael DeFazio, who preaches here regularly, sees me out in the hallway, and he goes, hey, when you're talking about regeneration, he goes, everyone knows what a generator does. It produces power. And I'm like, where were you a week ago? <laughs> that would have worked the other three services. So regeneration is the Holy Spirit brings power into our lives. Or as one theologian told me, and I love this, it's this whole concept of the very essence of our soul being changed. Not just our status, but our soul. It's the analogy that takes place in your body when an infected body receives an antibiotic. The Holy Spirit begins to attack the sickness and illness of our sin in our lives and slowly but surely leads us to a regenerated health. Now let's jump ahead to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, the verse I've had you hold in waiting. In Ezekiel 36, it says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what regeneration is. So what the Holy Spirit does after conviction is, and when we receive by faith the blood of Jesus Christ, he begins to work in us to change our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. That's why you will grow the entirety of your walk of faith. Salvation is not a point in time in which you made a decision that contractually obligates God to love you. Salvation is the process by which God has chosen to love you. You receive his love, and that love begins a work in you that he is faithful to bring to completion. That's why when people say, oh, yeah, yeah, I was, I was saved in sixth grade, but I don't really have much to do with religion anymore. What were you saved from? You, were you saved into the kingdom and the life of loving and serving our king? Was it just a, a point in time by which you have a legal reaction with God? Because that's not what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit brings life brings a walk of faith, an engagement with God that's deep and personal. And so when do we receive this spirit? Reading through the scripture, I'm to come to this conclusion. I find two moments in time where we receive this Holy Spirit into us, what Jesus promised. In Acts 2.38, Peter preaches the first gospel message. The crowd cries out with conviction, led by the Holy Spirit. What must we do to overcome what we've done? And he says, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Romans chapter 6, Paul takes that. This is Peter. Now, Paul brings it up in Romans 6, 1 through 14, where he talks about that the symbol of baptism is the burial under the water, the cleansing of the water, to walk out of the water resurrected. Paul even says to walk in newness of life. Now, there will be some who hear me say that, and instantly your thought is, well, there they go. They're saying baptism saves you. No, no, no. Let's be crystal clear. Jesus Christ is the only thing that saves us. Our obedience is depicted in baptism. It's where we receive it. Now, you could say, you know, I I walk by faith. Yes, you can walk by faith, but faith also obeys. And when they asked Peter, what must we do? Peter didn't say, just think a thought. He said, no, repent, give your heart and soul, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. In the name of Jesus, that you might walk in newness of life, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, what I want to show you is to receive what God wants you to receive, you have to receive it in the way that he asks you to. Now, the Holy Spirit is working on all of us all the time. So so I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit hasn't been present in your life, but I'm saying the abiding presence, I only find two spots in the entire New Testament where we receive the Holy Spirit. It's found in Acts 2 and Romans 6. And I'd encourage you to spend some time in there to see that because I want you to have what God wants you to have too. You see, the Holy Spirit opens us to life-giving conviction and regenerates us to new life. And lastly, the Spirit gives us a life-giving identity. Simplest way to put it this morning is this. There is a truth. When God says he's going to do something, is he going to do it? Every single time. He's faithful. So when God says he's going to save you, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God is going to save you. But there's also an experience of it. Now that makes some of us nervous. There's an objective truth and there's a subjective experience. And the experience I want you to receive is the blessings of the Spirit's presence in your life. And I want to give you a taste of it. Just let you see a glimpse of Scripture that God is not going to use and abuse you. God is going to enter you and bring you to life. Titus chapter 3. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit brings a conviction that brings hope and shows us that God will be faithful to keep every promise. So I want to give you some terms, adoption. Here's the first thing I want you to think about that the Holy Spirit wants you to be aware of that you have been and can be adopted into God's home. Galatians 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And allow me to add, sons and daughters. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. You see, the presence of the spirit in your life will remind you that no matter what your struggles, no matter what your accomplishments or lack of accomplishments are, God sees you as his son and daughter. You don't have to earn that. Neither one of my sons have to come home. Uh, This came to mind. Uh, Alex had just gotten married. Our oldest son had just gotten married to Madison. And he, he made a question. He goes, hey, is it okay if I came home this afternoon? And we both, without even talking to each other on text, responded, you never have to ask if you can come home. And he smiled. He put a little smile and he goes, I knew you'd say that. But it kind of hurt the heart of a father to think that my son, because he got married, thought he would have to ask permission to come back into his home, right? If I can feel that way, and I'm the most corrupt man you'll ever meet, what was God feeling? 
you're all saying, well, I've done too much. God's like, no, you're my son and my daughter. I gave the blood of Jesus to redeem you back into my home. This is your home. This is your kingdom. Enter into it. Church, is that good news? In a world that makes God to be, a mar- to be this guy who just pounds us into the ground? No, I want you to know that you've been adopted. Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, forgiveness of sins, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He's not a threat to us. He's our Father. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. So when anybody says, I don't need the Holy Spirit, oh, what are you missing without him? You're missing hope and life and an awareness. You're missing that voice that speaks to you every day. When the world says you're nothing and you're about your accomplishments or you're about your looks or you're about your weight or you're about your cash, the Holy Spirit is the one whispering the voice of Jesus into your ear and heart every day. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. I gave my life for you. No one can take that from you. You are my child. Church, is that good news? I hope so. Also, I just want to use these words. You've been cleansed, renewed, and you're alive. This is what the Holy Spirit reminds us of every day. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you were washed, you were sanctified, remember, set apart for a purpose. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have to confess, I do this for a living. I get to study the Word. It's one of the greatest privileges of my life. And in the last six months, I've been amazed how many times I've seen the Holy Spirit's name pop up in the processes of God, bringing me to salvation that for the longest time I never saw. The Holy Spirit has taken the veils off my eyes too. Jesus is all I need. And Jesus gave me the Spirit to regenerate me so Jesus would be all I want. And that's a beautiful gift. In Galatians chapter 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. There is an action for us, church, that we are to crucify the sinful nature. And then he says, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I want you to think about that. You're alive because of the Spirit's awakening you to the blood of Jesus Christ, to the truth and glory of God. And the Spirit is speaking to you daily. And when you hear the voice of the Spirit, you hear the voice of Jesus. And when you hear the voice of Jesus, you hear the words of God. Jesus told us this is the case. I speak what the Father has given me. And the Spirit will take those words and lead you into truth. So when we hear the voice of the Spirit, if we would live by the Spirit, if we would listen to the Spirit's voice found in the Word of God, found in the community of God, found in faith, and we listen to those words and we say yes, and we agree with those words and we trust those words and we move out on those words, we are moving out on the words of Jesus and we are alive in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. See, that's different for those of us in the room. There are some of us here today and we are beyond grateful that you would take the risk to come to this place and be open to what we're talking about here today. And we are truly grateful, but you have never ever confessed your sin. You have never publicly said, I'm a sinner who needs saved. And the spirit is convicting you here today that this is a truth. And it's not about your performance, it's about Jesus' goodness. And should you receive that today and you would confess you're a sinner and place your faith in Jesus Christ as led by the Spirit, that same Spirit will guide you into truth and into life and into hope, adopted into God's family, cleansed, made alive, made new. And and you say, what do I need to do? You need to do the same thing that the Scriptures call. 
Confess your sin, repent, Jesus, repent of your sin, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Be washed clean in the waters of baptism. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and walk in newness of life. Will you be good at it? No. Do you have to be perfect, church? No. You're forgiven, you're led by grace, and God will begin to regenerate your heart of stone into a heart of his spirit, listening and trusting and being guided. Now, for three-fourths of us in this room, isn't it time we open ourselves up to the spirit instead of relying on a historical date by which we were saved, beginning to walk now and saying to God, lead me, let me listen, teach me to listen, regenerate continually every day. Bring me in to a place of sanctification where I can be set apart for good deeds every day as your workmanship. This is our prayer. Around this room are tables with lamps lit. Maybe today's the day you decide to follow Jesus. Or maybe today's the day you decide to really open yourself up and listen for the Spirit's voice and guidance because the Spirit's voice is the voice of Jesus. And the voice of Jesus are the words of God. And so today, if you need prayer, encouragement, if you have questions, if you wonder, go to these tables. We'll have people there that would be happy to meet and pray with you. Maybe you'll wanna to talk to me in the foyer at the prayer center and some of our other staff. We'd be glad to meet with you today. I wanna to pray a prayer over you, which is a promise of scripture. It's the gift that Jesus offers us and it's my prayer that we'll all receive it. Here's the prayer. It's found in 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with all of us. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.